Welcome to Footnotes and Witness. My name is Deborah J. McKenzie, and this is the podcast where we study the Bible to see Jesus rightly and find Him in our own stories. Let us be faithful witnesses to His character and glory. So we're continuing on our quest to deal with the random things that we find in scripture, like genealogies and repeated content. My most simple way of dealing with God's word is to look for him in it. What does this show me about God's character? Where is Jesus in this? Where is the gospel? If we believe that it is one story, then it all relates to itself. It's all part of the same story, pointing to Jesus Christ in the gospel. So we should be able to find him in every part of it. One of the reasons that I am so passionate about reading the Bible is that it's the only thing that actually gets better the longer that you sit with it. You can go through really obscure, weird texts and say, where is Jesus in this? And you can find him. (laughs) It's just a matter of being intentional. There's nothing else that I've ever found that continues to get deeper and richer the longer that you sit with it and study it. It's amazing. (laughs) So today I want to tackle a part of scripture where amazement usually goes to die. (laughs) And that's instructions. I'm talking about the dense and detailed instructions about the Ark of the Covenant and the temple. The first instructions come in Exodus 25. God speaking to Moses and in verse 9, he says, exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and of all of its furniture, so you shall make it. (laughs) And then God goes on to give Moses very specific and detailed instructions. Like the ark is going to be made of acacia wood. It's two and a half cubits in length. It's going to be overlaid with gold and rings on all four sides. And then you're going to make a acacia poles to put through those rings so that you can carry it and so on and so on. The next chapter, Exodus 26, gives specific instructions for the tent tabernacle that's going to hold the ark. There's going to be 10 curtains of fine twined linen, blue and purple and scarlet yarns so you can embroider cherubims. The length of the curtains is 28 cubits. There's going to be curtains made out of goat hair. covering made of tanned ram and goat leather, and so on and so on. Chapter 27, chapter 28, there's details about the priest's robes. Then the details are repeated, saying who did what. Now, I don't blame you if you have skimmed over these parts or even skipped them altogether. I know that I kind of mentally checked out whenever these scriptures came up in my daily listening plan. I had to intentionally sit down and choose to spend time in this part of OT. Numbers and Leviticus get the same shade usually, (laughs) but it's Exodus. Like we usually read some of Exodus. It has Moses and the Pharaoh and the plagues, but yet we get to the end and we kind of skip over these huge chunks of this book. And you know, I like to study books in their entirety because they go together for a reason. But this part, man, it just doesn't seem relevant. Jesus came and fulfilled the law and the feast. Pentecost gave each and every believer the Holy Spirit dwelling inside of them. We no longer need to build a gold box in an elaborate tent or temple to be in the presence of God. 
So did God make a mistake then? Did he forget to edit our Bible to just the relevant parts? Or is it more likely that we are not the best judges of what is relevant and what isn't? (laughs) So let's work on the assumption that God, in fact, did not make a mistake and that this information is actually for our benefit. God's word helps us to get to know him, all of him. Now, sometimes when we're in a relationship, we spend time doing things that don't directly benefit us. So, for example, my husband has worked from home for years, even pre-pandemic. He didn't go into the office with people. And I, I'm so grateful that he goes to work and provides for me so I can actually homeschool my kids and do this. But he has an incredibly boring job dealing with Medicare benefit plans. He's very good at his job and he loves doing it and he loves helping people. And I'm so grateful for him. But he used to try to talk to me about his day. And the whole time I would be thinking about what I needed to do. Dinner, laundry, that thing for the kids, whatever it was. Now, it took a few years and a very vulnerable discussion for my husband to see how much I was actually belittling our relationship. I wasn't interested or concerned with the minutia of his day. So in turn, I never shared the minutia of my day with him. By sharing the tiny details of our days, we actually grew closer. It was a point for me to be intentional and to listen to what he had to say about his job and to learn the acronyms and to understand what he was talking about. And through that, I knew that he wanted to hear how many times I had to read Dr. Seuss to the kids that day or whatever it was. So then he got to be a part of my day and I got to be a part of his. It's a kind of intimacy that you only get in close relationships. Most people honestly don't love you enough to listen to all the minutiae of their day. And this is the chance that we get to be in relationship with God, to have an intimate relationship. I want to read the minutiae of God's day and try to get to know him better. So when scripture gives you such detailed descriptions like it does with the ark, do something with it. Draw it out. Now, even if you can't draw, I bet someone else has done it. Google it. I promise you. When the descriptions are this detailed in scripture, it allows us to actually look into the past. Now, we don't have the ark. It's never been found. We don't know where it ended up. But because of this detailed description of the ark and the tent and the tabernacle, we can actually see it. If you have a study Bible, I would wager that there are actually drawings in the margins. You may even have colored pages with full pictures in your index in the back of your Bible. So take a gander at it. Like what a gift. We actually get to look and see what this part of history has. And then after you look at it for a while, what does this show you about God? So here's the setting. Here's what's happening in Exodus. God is on the mountain chatting with Moses, giving detailed instructions. They've left Exodus. They are no longer slaves. They're hanging out in the wilderness. He gives instructions on the ark, the tent, priest, the altar, all of it. Then in chapter 32, Moses is gone too long. The people panic and they ask Aaron to make an idol, a replacement to go up after Moses because they don't know what's happened to him. And now the iconic scene unfolds. 
Moses comes down from the mountain, sees the people worshiping an idol. He gets super mad, throws down the tablets, breaks them. Then God gets mad. And then Moses has to ask God not to be mad. And he intercedes for them. And then Moses has to go back up. And now he has to write the tablets and do it all over again. Then in chapter 35, 36, 37, 38, and 39, it is a repeat of all the instructions that we got earlier. But there's one very important difference. Now it's obedience. Before it was God telling Moses, you are going to do this. You are going to do this. Now we see in chapter 36, verse 8, for example, it says, all the craftsmen among the workmen made the tabernacle with tin curtains. They were made of fine twined linen and blue and purple and scarlet yarns with cherubim skillfully worked. Now it changes from a list of instructions to those instructions being carefully laid out and being obeyed. They're being followed to the letter. The people failed Moses. They failed God when he took too long on the mountain. They panicked and they didn't obey. So God was patient. He heard Moses's intercession and gave mercy. And now we have chapters of evidence of the people being obedient to the smallest detail. Also, just a side note, how great is it that God gives specific and detailed instructions here? Like, have you ever wondered if you're doing it right? Like, am I praying right? Am I serving well? Is this actually what God wants me to do? Like, what a gift. These people didn't have to wonder here. They saw the very minute detail and were able to follow it and know that that's what God wanted of them. Like, that was such a gift for them. (laughs) So seeing this detail given to the ark helps build a foundation also. It's going to build a foundation towards the books of Samuel and Kings and Chronicles and stories with David, which then build a foundation for the Psalms. So are these details relevant? Yeah, they certainly are. (laughs) But what we really are after, right, is what does this show me about God's character? What we see here is that God is kind. He knows that the people are struggling. They have left their whole identity. Even though that identity was slavery, it was an identity. It was predictable. They knew what they were supposed to do. Now they're out in the wilderness. It's almost like too much freedom. They don't know what to do with themselves. When they're left on their own, they make bad choices. And so God is patient with them. He gives them specific instructions and allows them to redeem themselves and to find a new identity by being obedient, even in these small things. He offers opportunity. And this is one of my most favorite things that you see about God from page One, he has the ability to do all of this himself, right? He can control time. He can control the lights in the sky. He can make things grow out of the ground. He doesn't need anyone to farm it. He could make himself his own presence in whatever form he wanted to, but he chooses to offer opportunity up to humanity to serve, to be in relationship for it to be a two-way street. That's such an amazing gift. And then we want to say, where's Jesus in this? 
Well, Jesus came to fulfill the law and to restore our access to God. But the weight of that, like the enormity of it, kind of lessens if you don't understand what the replacement is. So in a very like not great analogy, because I don't want to compare cell phones to Jesus, but kind of in a way, sometimes we make cell phones like Jesus and there are idols, but never mind, that's a rabbit trail. The point is cell phones make our life easier. Now I'm from the generation where I grew up with the dawn of the internet. I remember a time before the internet, but like my kids, they will never know what it was like to have to have a computer and a camera and mail letters and make a phone call and have to wait on your sibling to get off the phone because only one person could be on the line at a time. Like the cell phone today has replaced so much. And this is such a small example, but the cell phone has made our lives easier. And anyone in the world who has a couple of bucks for a burner phone has access. You can call anyone literally in the world who has a phone. The access to each other is just overwhelming. And like my kids will never understand what it was like to be without it. Just like my parents' generation had to grow up without the internet. And just one more generation before that, I mean, the U.S. Post Office was our main form of getting communication back and forth. That's crazy (laughs) to think about just a couple generations before, but it restored access to one another. So when Jesus came to fulfill the law, it wasn't just that he got rid of the system because it wasn't good. It was good. It gave Moses and those people a way to actually be in relationship with God, but it was tedious. There were daily rituals that had to be done. There were monthly rituals. There were annual rituals. And then every seven years was a whole different thing. And then every seven times seven years was a whole nother thing. That's the year of Jubilee. And so that you had to keep track of time like you never had to before. You had to keep track of which things went with which things, like which ritual had to be performed before this. And we see that it's important because people die if they go into God's presence without following these instructions clearly. And it's all about perspective, right? You can look at that and say, oh, if they didn't do this God box the right way, then they died. Well, God must be spiteful. Okay, that's one way to look at it. But if we look at God's entirety of his character, we can see that he's actually offering opportunity, right? Instead of being spiteful, we can see that God is actually allowing you to be in his presence. And there were a couple of steps that you needed to take. But I think humanity, speaking broadly, but more for myself, like it feels better to be in relationship with someone if it's a two-way street. So if I have a friend, and even if they're always asking about me, like they're always trying to get to know me, and they're, they know all of my kids' names and what they like, like that's great, but I want to get to know you, right? It's a two-way street. Just like if you were friends with somebody, and you were always the one that was having to initiate like hanging out, and you were always asking them about their life, but they never asked you about yours. 
that would not be a great friendship. Like it's a one-way street. So God does not need us <laughs> to be in relationship with him. He doesn't need anything from us. He definitely could have come up with a much different system where he just chose when he wanted to be available. But he instead allows us opportunity to serve him well and to know that we're doing it right. And before Jesus, it was in this system. They knew exactly what to do. They knew exactly how big to make the curtains and to actually what the curtains were supposed to be made out of and what was supposed to be decorated on the curtains. And so it took away all that insecurity of, am I doing this right? Am I doing what God wants me to? But then you also felt like you contributed something. It made it a two-way street. So we see the gospel in the details of the ark. We see how important Jesus as a replacement was, like how big that was. And it's so big in so many different ways. We see God's character in the details of the ark because he wants to be in relationship with us. And he actually caters to our insecurities and allows us to actually feel like we're taking part He doesn't need us to, but he allows us to. He is perfectly capable of being in charge of everything. And yet God continuously chooses to let humans be a part of the game plan. (laughs) And that starts even at page one, but we see that at the beginning of Exodus. He could have let his people go. He could have done all of the plagues without Moses and given Pharaoh dreams, but he chose to work through this failed human and make his plans be carried out through them. So God chooses to be in relationship with us and continuously offers opportunity for us to actually be able to do that. (laughs) That's so crazy. So the details of the ark, the repetition of the details of the temple and how it needs to be is Yes, sometimes tedious, but I encourage you, if you're in your reading plan or it just comes up or you want to go study these things on your own, take some time. Like God has offered us in the details a glimpse of what his people went through. We don't have the ark. We can't go to a museum and look at it, but we can actually draw it. Like there are very few things that we can actually pull out of the Bible and tangibly see. A lot of it we have to imagine or picture, or we have to go through historical documents and we can kind of understand the context. But here we have like an actual picture. We can actually see what the ark would have looked like, what the temple would have looked like. There are a couple of times in the OT, especially, where there are very specific instructions and they seem like they are not relevant and that it's totally worth your time to just skip over them. But I encourage you, anytime you come across these detailed instructions, do something with them. Draw them out, picture them, look for other pictures of them, other people have drawn them. If you can't draw, that's fine. But see what God had for his people. And then while you're looking at it, ask, okay, God, where are you in this small, tiny box? Like there's so much that is there (laughs) and you can dive deeper into it and what the name of the mercy seat means and why are there cherubims on all sides? Like this scripture never fails you. God's word is so deep and so rich. 
And through that, you can be in relationship with God. You can get to know the minutiae of his past and his day. That is so amazing that the creator of the universe wants to be in relationship with you. He chose you. He loves you and he wants to share his past, present, and future with you. And so he gave you this book, this strange, wonderful, random, detailed book for you to try and get to know him a little bit better. And that is definitely a God worth pursuing because he pursues you. And that is really good news.